This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Happy New Year to everybody. Lovely to, to see you again. Um, you I said in the first service already that like, I feel so full after the worship and the ministry. Um, and now I've had an, a whole nother service of that. So I, I'm literally, I'm like, I'm done. I'm pretty, pretty full. Um, but if you're not, if you're still hungry, that's good. Um, I have a, a message for us this morning that I, I trust is going to bless you and it's going to really just shift your, your heart and mind this year going forward. So I want to, I want to tell you about a man by the name of Dave Brailsford. So Brailsford was hired by the British cycling team in 2003 as their new performance director after the country had endured nearly a hundred years of mediocre cycling performances. So since 1908, British riders had won a total of one gold medal at the Olympics. And on the biggest stage in cycling, the Tour de France, it had been 110 years since a Brit had ever won the event. The British team was so underwhelming that a top European bike manufacturer refused to sell them their bikes for fear that their sales would drop. Enter Dave Brailsford with a strategy that he called the aggregation of marginal gains. So Brailsford explains that the whole principle came from the idea that if you broke down everything you could think of that goes into riding a bike and you improved it by just 1%, you will get a significant increase when you put them all together. So Brailsford and his coaches began by making small adjustments you might expect from a professional cycling team. They redesigned the bike seats to make them more comfortable. They rubbed alcohol on the tires to get better grip. They asked riders to wear electronically heated overshorts to maintain ideal muscle temperature and used biofeedback sensors to get a sense of what the guys were feeling during each particular workout, how they were performing. The team tested various fabrics in a wind tunnel and had their outdoor riders wear indoor clothing, which they found to be lighter and more aerodynamic. But they didn't stop there. Brailsford and his team continued to find 1% improvements in unexpected and overlooked areas. They tested different types of massage gels to see which would make the, the riders respond better, that their muscles recovered quicker. They hired a surgeon to teach every rider to wash their hands properly to avoid catching a cold. They determined the type of pillow and mattress that would give the best rider, give each rider their best night's sleep. They even painted the inside of the team truck white so that they could notice the tiniest specks of dust that could potentially get onto the bikes and hamper their performance. As these hundreds and of, of other, of small little changes began to add up, they started to notice a difference and things came way quicker than they expected. Just five years after Brailsford took over, the British cycling team dominated the road and track cycling events at the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, where they won an astounding 60% of the gold medals on offer. 
Four years later, when the Olympic Games came to London, they upped the bar. They set nine Olympic records and seven world records. That same year, Bradley Wiggins became the first British cyclist to win the Tour de France. The next year, his teammate, Chris Froome, won the race. And he would go on to win in 2015, 2016, and 2017, giving the British team five Tour de France victories in six years. During the 10-year span from 2007 to 2017, British cyclists won 178 world championships and 66 Olympic or Paralympic gold medals and captured five Tour de France victories in what is widely regarded as the most successful run in cycling history. Tiny improvements, huge results. You know, I love this uh, this time of year, as Andre said in the beginning too, at the moment between the shift of an old year into the new year, uh, for a lot of us, it's just time to hit the reset button, time to think again, time to do a lifestyle audit. What, what worked for us last year? What didn't? What should we start? What should we stop? It's the season of New Year's resolutions. I, I love a New Year's resolution. Um, it's just a chance for us to say, this is what I'm aiming at. This is, this is something that I want to, want to do. That's the good news. The bad news is come Valentine's Day, mid-February, 92% of us who have committed to reading our Bible every day, praying every day, getting out of debt, journaling, all sorts of these great things that we, that we commit to, 92% of us have let them slip. They've all but died. Only 8% of resolutions make it past Valentine's Day. Why is that? Why do we struggle so much to put things in place that will make our lives change for the better, make our lives the lives we want to see in future? Conventional wisdom suggests that to achieve something in life, we must set specific actionable goals. Lose 10 kgs. Get closer to God. Double our annual turnover. Run a half marathon. Write a book. For me, I have, I have one kind of big pie in the sky dream that, that came to me this year. I would like to climb Mount Kilimanjaro at some point in my life. I'm nearing 40, so I'm kind of aiming for that. Uh, that would be a good milestone. But if I just rely on, on, on that goal, I may not hit it. How many of you have, have, have set goals but failed to execute? How many of us have set goals? I know a lot of us. We just aim, we aim for them. We do, we do our best, but we fall short. That's because the results that we hope to achieve are not based on the goals that we set, but on the systems that we put in place in order to achieve those goals. If you think about the eight guys who line up for the 100 meters final sprint at the Olympic Games, you can bet your bottom dollar that every single one of those guys is going for gold. There is not one of those eight guys who are lined up thinking, man, if I can just get seventh place, that's all I want. I just want to get seventh place. No one is doing that. Each and every one of those guys has the same goal. But what happens? Seven fail. Seven out of eight people fail. Only one gets the gold. Only one wins. So setting goals does not determine the win. 
Setting goals does not determine success. It's the systems that we have in place to achieve those goals that give us the success. You know, I'm saying I want to climb Kilimanjaro, but if, if I haven't, all I've done to date is I've, I've done a bit of research. I think there's about five different routes up. I've got an idea of, of what's going on, and I've looked at the price. That's kind of where I hit, hit a bit of a wall. It's a lot of money to, to climb, to, to get there and to, to climb it. But if I want to do it, I need to put a system in place. I need to start saving. I need to set a date. I need to book a ticket. I need to start training. I need to put a training program in place. I need to acclimatize to climbing at that kind of height. Without a system to achieve that goal, I'm bound to fail. James Clear, in an excellent book that he wrote entitled Atomic Habits, says you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Kilimanjaro is a pretty lofty goal, okay? In the natural, it's high up there. If you, if you set in yourself big goals, you can't rely on the fact that you're going to achieve them just because they're big. You won't rise up to the level of your goals if you don't have a good system in place. You will fall down to the level of your systems. If you have nothing in place to achieve your goals, no, no plan, no strategic a system of a way to get there, you will never achieve your goals. And the best system you can establish is a system of small, consistent actions, otherwise known as habits. Now, if you've already like checked out this morning and you think, you know, I'm not one for goal setting and, and, and hab, you know, habit forming and all of this mumbo jumbo, then think again. Much of what we usually do is not a result of conscious choices, but of daily habits. Duke University did a study in 2006 that found that as much as 40% of the actions we take daily are as a result of habits and not conscious decisions. 40% of what you do every day, you are not even thinking about. That is why at the end of the day, when you leave work, you can get into your car, your own car, you can drive your own self all the way back to your house, and you can arrive at your house and have no idea how you got there. You know nothing about the journey. You were strictly on autopilot. You see, your brain is an incredibly efficient machine. It doesn't want to analyze every action we take every day over and over. That's a waste of brain power. So when we encounter a new situation in our life, brain activity, neural activity is at its peak. It's trying to work out what is, what is the most effective way for me to do this. It's learning the whole time. How can I, what is the most effective course of action for me to solve this particular situation? In 1989, psychologist Edward Thorndike experiment, experimented with placing cats in a box. And in the box was some sort of cord that the cat had to pull or, or a lever that it had to press or a podium, a little platform that it had to stand on. And when that happened, a little trap door would open and the cat would be able to escape. So immediately when he put the cat in, the cat would start to poke around, would stick its nose in every corner, it would pour little openings, it would, would claw at any loose objects until eventually, by some happy accident, it found the lever or, or stood on the platform and the door would open 
and it would be able to escape. So what he noted at first is that the cats would explore the box at random. But then gradually they'd learn that pressing the lever opened the door. And they would escape within a few seconds. So as an example, Thorndike recorded the following. Cat number 12 took the following times to perform the act. 160 seconds, 30 seconds, 90 seconds, 60, 15, 28, 20, 30, 22, 11, 15, 20, 12, 10, 14, 10, 8, 8, 5, 10, 8, 6, 6, 7. The average of the first three recorded trials was one and a half minutes. The average of the last three recorded trials was 6.3 seconds. The cat formed a habit. Habits are simply reliable solutions to recurring problems in our environment. Your brain skips the process of trial and error, that trying to find out what's going on, and it creates a mental rule. If this, then that. As habits are created, our level of activity in our brain actually decreases, which is why 40% of what we do every day is on complete autopilot. We have no idea what we're doing. Of course, this is great if you've got good habits. That's the purpose of, of this system in the brain. You don't have to think about everything. You don't have to put processing power to every single thing that you're doing. A lot of it is for survival. It keeps you going. It keeps you alive. But if you've got bad habits, this is really good news, really bad news. Because what's happening is day to day, you are doing the same things over and over, and you're not even thinking about it. When last did you stop to think, why do you do this? Why do you do this particular thing after this thing? Why do I do this when I feel like this? When last did you stop and audit what your brain is actually thinking about and what the results are? So James Clear suggests that there are three levels of behavior change. How, how do we get our habits working for us? That's the question we need, we need to answer. And I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot of science at you this morning, but this is, this is what, what Scripture confirms. This is the kind of thing that, that we read about in the, in the Bible. We read about it all the time. This is, science is just confirming what the Bible has, says, has said. So stick with me. Uh, we're going, we're just going through a little bit, a, a little bit deeper now in, into the science, and then, and then we're gonna, we're gonna get into the Word of God, and we're gonna see how, how this is all confirmed. So three levels of behavior change. You can imagine then, them as layers of an onion. So the first layer is changing your outcomes. This level is concerned with changing your results. Okay, eating healthier, journaling every day, playing guitar, learning to play guitar. Most of the goals you set are associated with this level of change. The second layer is changing your processes, okay? Implementing a new routine at gym, decluttering your desk for a better workflow, waking up 20 minutes earlier every day. Most of the habits you build are associated with this level. And the third and deepest layer is changing your identity. This level is concerned with changing your beliefs, your worldview, your self-image, your judgments of yourself and of other others. Most of your beliefs, assumptions, and biases you hold are associated with this level. So outcomes 
are about what you get. Processes are about what you do. And identity is about what you believe. Let's have a look at the next slide. So all those levels of change are useful in some way or the other. But what we get wrong is the, is the direction. Many people begin the process of changing their habits by focusing on what they want to achieve. You know, I want to get out of debt. I want to stop gambling. I want to be a better parent. This leads to an outcome-based habit. But the alternative is to build identity-based habits. With this approach, we start by focusing on who we are and we work outwards. So imagine two people resisting a cigarette. The one guy gets offered a cigarette. Hey, buddy, do you want to smoke? And he says, no, thanks. I'm trying to quit. That sounds like a, a reasonable response. But this person still believes that they are a smoker who is trying to be someone else. They are hoping that their behavior will change while carrying around the same beliefs. A second person gets offered a cigarette and he declines by saying, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. Notice the difference? No thanks, I'm trying to quit. He identifies as a smoker who's trying to change his behavior. The other guy says, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. He's already made the shift in his identity about who he is and his actions and his habits are following that. Smoking was part of a former life, not his current life. They no longer identify, he no longer identifies as a smoker. So we need to start with who and not do. So many of us start with the do. This is what I want to do. But we need to reverse that and say, hang on, who am I? Start with the who and then work to the do. Because true behavior change is identity change. You can, you can make a couple of temporary adjustments, adjustments, but until such time as you change who you are, nothing is going to stick. So the goal is not to read a book. The goal is to become a reader. The goal is not to run a marathon. The goal is to become a runner. The goal is not to learn a musical instrument. The goal is to become a musician. And when you focus on the who, it's a lot easier to do the do. And here's what happens. A healthy identity creates positive habits. And positive habits reinforce a healthy identity. Every action you take is a vote for the person you want to be. Let me repeat that. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person who you want to become. Everything you do, everything you do is adding up to becoming a particular kind of person. So each time you write a page, you are a writer. Each time you practice the violin, you are a musician. Just don't do it near me. Each time you start a workout, you are an athlete. Each time you encourage your employees, you are a leader. Each time you pray, you are a prayer warrior. New identities require new evidence. If you keep casting the same votes you're always, that you've always cast, you're going to keep getting the same results that you've always got. Nothing changes when nothing changes. And then the opposite will be true. 
An unhealthy identity creates unwise habits. And unwise habits reinforce an unhealthy identity. So to how many of you does this kind of thing sound familiar? You say, I'm terrible with directions. I'm not a morning person. I'm bad at remembering people's names. That's a lot of you. I'm always late. I'm not good with technology. I'm horrible at math. And any other of a thousand variables that we speak over ourselves every day. And this is how it goes. This is the narrative in our head. We say these things, and the more we say them, the more we believe them. The more we believe them, the more they actually play out. The more they play out, the more evidence we have to support our claim, so the more we speak it over ourselves. And the more we speak it over ourselves, the more we believe it. And the more we believe it, the more it plays out. And the more it plays out, the more evidence we have to support that belief. So we speak it over ourselves. It's a vicious Vicious cycle. So what do we need to do? Two things. This morning you need to decide the type of person you are. Who do you want to be? It's okay if that person is not the person who is embodying you right now. But you need to decide, who do I want to be? And then number two, because that's all very well and good. Number two is you have to prove it to yourself. With small wins. You need to prove it to yourself. Prove who you are. Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church and leader of leaders, he shares how for the past 30 years, he has picked up one small discipline every year. Just one small habit. He admits that he's lost a few over the time, over time, but he has 20 plus new disciplines, new habits in his life that he has formed over the past 30 years. And he will say that there is not a single one of those habits, not one, not a single one that has made him a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, better leader, or any closer to God. Not a single one. But together, together they have shaped his identity into the man who he has become today and the man that he wanted to be, the man who the Lord has destined him to be. Together. And do you know what he started with? Flossing. No, not that type. Although he might master that one this year. Dental flossing. He started with flossing his teeth. Why did he start there? Because he hates it. But now, every morning when he wakes up and he flosses his teeth, He is casting a vote for the kind of person he wants to become. Every morning he flosses his teeth, he is saying, I am a disciplined person. And after he flosses his teeth, he reads his Bible. He prays with his wife. He arrives at work on time. He treats his employees fairly and with compassion. He is a better leader. All because he flossed his teeth. One small habit, one small win. For Craig Rochelle, flossing his teeth is a keystone habit. Have you ever looked at an archway and wondered how on earth are those bricks just magically floating up there and staying there? If you 
direct your attention to the top center, you will notice a little wedge-shaped stone called the keystone. The keystone is what holds all of those blocks in place. It is the thing that provides the the necessary power in order to, to make that structure work, to keep it from falling. And a keystone habit is the same thing. If you pick one small thing and you get it in place, then you can start building a whole bunch of habits around that one keystone. So I'm going to show you just a, a few a few things here, some keystone habits that can support a life of, of discipline. This is definitely not an exhaustive list of them, but just a few things that we can implement in our life that are small, simple things that will cost votes for the kind of person that we want to be. Okay, wake up with enough time to peacefully carry out your morning routine. That's difficult for a lot of us. Get up on time. Foster a morning routine that starts with God's word, prayer, and contemplation. Sleep at least eight hours a night. Get into bed 30 minutes earlier and read a good book. In the past three years, I think, and I might be over-exaggerating, I think I have read one book. I said I might be over-exaggerating. In the past three weeks, I've read two books. Why? Because for the past month or so, my wife and I have been getting into bed 30 minutes earlier and taking that time to read a good book. There is change in a small little habit. There is so much power in it. Okay. Let's keep going. Eliminate soft drinks and drink at least two liters of water each day. Okay, cut the Coke. Eat at least one meal together with your family or close friends each day. I hope you guys are doing this already. Great time just to slow down and connect with your kids and with your spouse. Exercise at least three days a week for at least 20 minutes. I asked my wife if I could share this one. When she met me, she was not a runner. She tried, and she did 2Ks at 10 minutes a kilometer, she said. That's all she can manage. In this last week, we ran three times, six kilometers each. Just putting aside a certain amount of time every, every week for a few days a week can transform you from something, from nothing, into something. She became a runner by just setting the time aside. Okay, last few. Attend a local church weekly and participate by giving and serving there. Well done for being here. You are casting a vote towards who you're going to be. Someone who prioritizes the house of God. Someone who, who, who comes to, to serve and to give. Well done. Keep it up. Let's keep going. Even if you don't feel like it, come to church. I know we wake up in a bad mood on a Sunday. Or we work on a Saturday. Maybe this is your only day. Sunday is, is, is family day. Set aside the first day of the week, Sunday. Give it to God. If you're married, hold hands with your spouse every day. Come on. I got them in the first service. You would have thought they would have learned. Declare some truths about yourself every day. Verbally encourage at least one person every day. Simple, small habits. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what on earth are these one or two little things that I implement in my life, how are they going to help me to get out of debt? How are they going to help me to lose those 10 kgs? How are they going to help me to become a better parent, to become a better spouse? Because 
you will be telling yourself that I am a disciplined individual. I can do something every day. And it is going to make a difference. So I want to, I want to challenge you. Just grab one of those things. Grab one and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for January. You don't even have to think about the whole year. Just do it for January and see what happens. Then carry on a bit and see what happens. I heard a story of a guy who set a goal of getting into shape. He wanted to get a bit fitter. So he signed up for a gym, gym contract. But all he committed to was going to the gym for five minutes. Just five minutes. So he would drive there, get into the locker room, change, get out there, push some weights for five minutes, get changed again, drive home. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Five minutes a day in the gym. Do you think he saw physical gains? No. Not at all. But what he was building was a habit of discipline. He was building an identity. I am someone who prioritizes exercise. I am someone who prioritizes the health of my body, who says this is a body of the Lord. This is a body of the Holy Spirit, a temple of the Holy Spirit. I prioritize it. It is important to me, so I'm going to go to gym. Soon those five minutes a day turned into 15 and 30 and then 60 because he was like, well, I'm here all the time. I might as well stay a bit longer. And then did the physical gains come? Yes, he got into shape because he put the habit in place. He put the system in place. It's been said that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Speaking of successful people, let's look at the life of Daniel. So when Babylon was under King Nebuchadnezzar's rule, uh, he called for the strongest and healthiest and brightest young men in the land. And Daniel was chosen and he found great favor with the king, despite not always following his decrees. Following King Neb, his son, his son Belshazzar took over as the king. He didn't really know him much, um, but something happened, and then he, he found favor again with him. After him, Darius followed. And he went about also asking for 120 of the finest young men in the land to come and rule over kingdoms. Daniel stood out. Above all 119 of them, he stood out and was given the whole kingdom. Let's read in Daniel 6, uh, verses 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps that is ex- with, by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's an impressive resume. That you can be at the top of your game through the rule of three kings. And then similar to what we see happen in this day and age, when someone rises to power or fame, we get jealous and we try and take that guy down. So the people came together and they tried to attack him where it mattered most, his religion. So they tricked the king into issuing a decree that says no one is allowed to pray to anyone else but the king. Now at this point in the story, we actually don't really know what makes Daniel so exceptional. What, what makes him stand out? Is he, is he just got a real leadership gifting? Is he, uh, is he a gifted communicator? Uh, you know, does he, does he work really well with people? Has he got excellent management skills? We're not sure. But it's in Daniel's response and his reaction to this decree that I believe we get an insight into why he has seen success his whole life. Daniel 6.10 says, When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, He went home and knelt down 
as usual. In his upstairs room, with its window open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. I would argue that the thing that made Daniel special was at least one that we know of, one daily habit he did consistently over time that shaped his identity, that gave him the faith to stand against the king, that gave him the faith to stand strong in the den of lions. What did he do? He knelt down as usual. He prayed just as he had before, not once a day, not twice a day, but three times a day, not when it was easy, not when it was comfortable, not after he scrolled down to the bottom of his Instagram feed. He did it consistently, daily. He prioritized time of the Lord. Daniel made a habit of seeking God, of coming to him with praise, of coming to him with his burdens, of petitioning him in prayer. Prayer three times a day, I would argue, was Daniel's keystone habit. And I would go on a limb and say he was a pretty disciplined guy. Not just based on that, but because of the fact that that keystone habit would have, would have brought so many other habits into his life and disciplines that propelled him into the person he was. I want to say this to you. Never underestimate what God can do with one small decision. Well, one small habit. He can start something big through one small step that you take. The Bible says in Zechariah 4 verse 10, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Come on. Let's start something. Let's start a small beginning. The Lord loves to see you begin something. Let's start something together. No one is an overnight success, and no one is an instant failure. We are the product of all our small decisions put together, multiplied by time. What happens? How does it work? You make a small decision here, tell a little bit of a lie, make a compromise here, fudge the numbers here a little bit. Tell another lie here. Make another compromise here. And eventually, you find that your life is an absolute mess. You didn't get there overnight. It was a product of a whole bunch of steps that you took in the wrong direction. The same can be true for someone who we look at who we think is absolutely crushing it. They are winning in life. But we have no idea the steps that it took for them to get to that place the self-sacrifice, the long hours, the late nights, early mornings, the prayer, the fasting, all of those steps. No one sees those things, yet we call that person an overnight success. No. They put habits in place, faithful decisions day after day. Our life is the sum of all the small decisions we make. The life you are living today is building the life you'll be living tomorrow. The life you are living today is building the life you'll be living tomorrow. So let's go back to that question. Can one small habit really make a difference? Yes. Your good decisions are being stored up. Today's decisions are building your tomorrow. 
Let me illustrate. Um, I like coffee. Not, uh, you know, not Jacob's or Rick coffee or that powdery stuff. I like beans, ground, freshly ground beans, smelling good. I like them from like high places, you know, grown at high altitudes and they, you can smell and taste like florals and stone fruits and citrus and it's the kind of coffee I drink. I'm a proper snob. I drink it black. Okay, so you can actually taste the stuff, not just the cow. But in order for me to make the best coffee, I, I need something called a gooseneck kettle. Okay, it's a kind of hourglass shaped thing that has a, it has a tiny spout, long spout that comes out the bottom with a really small hole. So what it does is it gives me perfect flow of water at a perfect temperature. Okay, it's, it's completely nerdy. I'm like a, a coffee geek, okay? It's the highest level of coffee nerd you can get. So that kettle has a gauge on top. When I make coffee, fill it with water, room temperature water, pop it on the gas, turn up the fire, and I can watch as that temperature rises. Nothing happens much at first, but then slowly, 40 degrees, 60 degrees, 80 degrees, and then all of a sudden, 99 degrees. At 99 degrees, I never go there, by the way. You should never, ever burn your coffee. Hit like the 92-degree range if you want good coffee. 99 degrees, you have very, very hot water. And then at some point, all that stored-up energy hits a tipping point, and you hit 100 degrees. 100 degrees is boiling point. All of a sudden, your water starts boiling. It wasn't boiling at 99 degrees. It boils at 100 degrees. One small step, one small degree, and all of a sudden we could see something. All of a sudden we could see something happen. You've been putting in days and days and days at the gym. Nothing's been happening. But all of a sudden, someone says, hey, you're looking good. You've been working out. All of a sudden you can see it. You've been putting hours and hours and hours into prayer, hours into the word of the Lord. And all of a sudden, someone says, hey, I can see something different in you. You've grown. You've changed. I can see Jesus in you. So many things that we're so into. I want to encourage you, don't stop. How's this verse in Galatians 6, verse 9? Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. If we don't give up, you've been sowing into your marriage. Keep at it. Keep adding at the right time. You will receive a blessing. You will look back and you will realize. And I said, this church is, is not the same as it was five years ago. We've been sowing. We've been sowing and we're beginning to see the Lord moving in powerful, more and more powerful ways every year. The life you are living today is building the life you'll be living tomorrow. So who do you want to be in this life? Who do you want to be? That's the question we need to ask. And then give yourself some small wins that encourage and reinforce that identity. You want to be a true man of God. You want to be a godly wife, mother. You want to be clean. You want to be sober. You want to be financially free. You want to be healthy. You want to be someone who cares. You want to be someone who makes a difference in the lives of those around them. Based on who you want to become, what one habit 
Can you start today? That's going to take you a step closer to being that person. Figure that out and then make it as easy as possible. If you want to be fitter, stronger, walk one kilometer a day. Maybe after supper, go for an evening walk around the block. Do one push-up a day. One push-up before you hop in the shower. You want to read more? Commit to reading just one page a night. You want to be less distracted and more present? Set time limits on some of your apps. Put your phone in another room. You want to start journaling? Write down just one thing. That's something on my list. I want to start just writing down. And all I'm going to do is, after I read the Bible, after I pray, I'm going to write down one thought. Maybe it'll just be Thanksgiving in the beginning. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for today. Boom, done. I'm a journalist. Thank you for today. Thank you for my spouse. Next day, I'm going to write something else. The next day, I'm going to write something else. Then maybe I'll go wild and I'll write two sentences. Start with a small habit. You want to read your Bible more? Download the YouVersion Bible app. That thing has changed my life. Bible, little brown icon, download it. You want to read the Bible more? Read the verse of the day. Just one verse. Every day. That's all you need to do. At the end of the year, you would have read 365 verses in the Bible. Start small. You want to be a better parent? Carve out 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and ask your kid, what do you want to do? Do it with them. Wholeheartedly present for those 10 or 15 minutes. You want to pray with your spouse? I know that can be awkward sometimes for various reasons. Just before you walk out the door, both of you go for your day. Hold hands. Pray quickly. Say, thank you, Father God, for today. Thank you for my spouse. Pray that you will be with us. Bring us back together safely this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Simple. Start with simple prayers. Cast votes for the person you want to be. Decide who you want to be and take a small, simple step, consistent step to being that person. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.